Hi, welcome to the Getting Hit Podcast. I'm your host, Aylewin, and today I've got a couple of things to talk about. Not all of them are particularly music-related, but uh, the first one is, and if you've followed the podcast, you'll know I that recently I was talking about having a couple of theatre gigs coming up. I've gone through and played some of the shows, and I have some more of the shows to play tomorrow, but I've done the rehearsals, and... I've been kind of taking a mental note of some of the things that I've learned along the way, some of the tips that I've found to make life a little bit easier for myself, and I wanted to share them with you. So I guess I should give a little bit of context or background in terms of what the actual uh, shows are and what it's like playing in them. So from... My experience, I think it's relatively common for theatre gigs if you're a guitarist to be able to have both acoustic and electric guitar. I have seen some cases where you need mandolin. I think I played in, uh, from way back in the day, I, I did a Sound of Music one and there was a mandolin part, but I think the chart that I had, it was meant to be mandolin, but they had actually written it for guitar and just wrote like mandolin-esque. So you'd just play like the same note, but twice on a string. That And that, that pretty much, that can pretty much accomplish the same sound. But like, it seems to be pretty standard that acoustic and electric guitar are going to be required. And so within that, I recommend you have a useful system for switching in between them. I personally run, uh, I have a Helix LT that I have both my electric and acoustic guitar plugged into. I've got like the first input for the quarter inch uh, that goes along the top line and that's just all of my effects for my electric guitar. And then the bottom line, I've got it as like the input is one of the return ins because that's where the acoustic is plugged in. And the bottom line is just any effects that I need for the acoustic guitar. They both go out either to an amp, which is what I do, or you can actually just XLR out into like, uh, just into the PA, which uh, a friend of mine that I know does. And I think both of them, like both of them work. I definitely wouldn't do it without an amp that has like some degree of foldback. But it is pretty helpful, actually, because for the first time, pretty much ever, I'm playing this this one theater show, the one that I've done the rehearsals for, but I have to play like the actual shows tomorrow and the day after. I've got my amp in front of me pointing directly at me. And I was, it's like the first time I've ever played like that because usually we're kind of like monitoring on the stage as well. People would need to hear me, but because the sound systems are pretty well sophisticated like everyone's got foldbacks you can afford you can afford to just have your amp facing directly towards you so that you can monitor your, yourself as best as possible so on top of that you've got your electric guitar you've got your acoustic guitar you've got maybe mandolin or banjo but those are extra stuff uh, i obviously recommend you have a stand nearby to be able to easily change between them because usually you have enough time to change in between them but uh like with the upcoming show honk there's one time where i have to change from electric guitar to acoustic guitar and i only have one bar 
and it's a formata bar, but still a formata for only one bar is not that much. So there is quite a bit of uh, a, a quite a bit of a hustle. So I recommend being able to do it quickly. Also, with like that exact bar, because it's it's not like you, the part that I have to play after it is not a solo part. It's not like really open. So I actually will miss maybe the first bar because it's really, it's just like a perfect fifth or something that I'm playing supporting the rest of the chords and the harmony. So I can actually afford to just kind of miss it out for the first, for the uh, following one or two bars that I should be on acoustic guitar while I get ready. If it is a solo thing though, it's, and you really don't have enough time to change, probably just play it on electric guitar. Like it's going to be better being there on electric as opposed to not being there on an acoustic. But yeah, that is in in terms of like just instrument switching and stuff. I've got it so that like I I just press a foot pedal on my helix and that activates like that either mutes the acoustic and has the electric playing or vice versa. And that's pretty helpful for, for me. Like with the helix, you can have like amp sims and stuff if you do decide to go direct. But I definitely recommend you have some degree of a foldback, be it an amp or my friend actually, who I'm, I'm. It's mainly his gig, but I'm depping for some of them. He has just like a little port, uh, little speaker as his foldback, and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I could probably invest in that because it might be a bit lighter than carrying around an amp. But yeah, that's just in terms of setup though. In terms of actually playing and performing, I guess if you have the option, tr like try and see the charts and read through them and, and practice as much as you can before you actually play and you get to the place. Because for the first play that I did, Next to Normal, those charts were really well written. And like you could tell that the person who wrote the charts, they have a very clear understanding of what is possible and what is idiomatically, uh, I guess, what is idiomatic on the guitar. And they would, you know, they what is idiomatic and what is possible. And they would also not be like to... Well, I mean, I guess I'll reference Honk as, as the kind of opposite example where honk there's very few chord symbols even in times where there really just should be and uh everything is notated so it's I, I was joking that like either one or two things are the case with honk the charts were either written by a pianist or they were written by a like virtuoso guitarist because but then again, also, there are some cases where they've written chords that are just literally impossible to play on a guitar, like E-flat, like an E-flat dominant 7 voice like that. And I'm like, we can't do that. <laughs> That's not possible. Um, and like, just even things like seventh chords, like minor seven chords that are voiced in, like just stacked in thirds. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's no way we're going to do that. I'm going to have to just play that. Sorry. Sorry, the fifth. I I plead the fifth. What does that even mean, actually? I think it's an American thing. Is it part of like the Constitution? I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll I'm sure I'm sure I'll find out one day. But it doesn't matter for Australia. 
so yeah uh those are some things like in the next to normal chart the the, the like you'll get chord symbols and there's also a really cool thing that they've done which is having just chord symbols like with slash notation or with whatever rhythm they want but they will have the engraver has put in little stemless note heads for whatever voice they want as the highest note of the voicing and that's one of my biggest problems with uh the honk charts is like there are so many times where they've written up fully notated chords and if they just said play this chord with this note as the highest melody it's totally likely if not completely the case that we would just play those voicings anyway but instead we've got to sit there and read like three four five note voicings that like yes there is a degree of just get goodness and i do like accept that you know my reading chops are although decent like i can get through theater gigs and stuff they're not like at the level of what a pianist would be for example but as i also always say guitarists have the kind of unique example where it's like if we see d major voice like this there is uh there's a couple of places we can play it we can either play it well there's really two places we can we would play it we would either play it in the like second fret we would play like the open d chord let me just grab an acoustic guitar so i don't know how well this is going to pick up but so we would play either like just like the open good old d which is what i would default to but also if you see that like the melody changes you could also play it up here at the seventh fret just a bar chord and there are other ones like this but uh this is 12 12 11 but but yeah like part of the part of the problem with playing guitar is that on the fly you need to both look at what the chord is but you also need to decide exactly where you're going to play it because if it's well, if there's a melody that you have to play after it, say something like... Then you would probably realize that, oh, it's not going to be as optimal to play it up here in the seventh fret. Which you could totally do, but there's there is like the balance of it's always going to be easier to sight read stuff if you can play it within the first couple of frets but then sometimes well what if the melody is like um then you can't really do do that you could do it with a position shift but position shifts are like a, a, a just a, a danger for when for playing guitar like the or, or bass or any like you know stringed instruments really fret fretboard related instruments doing position shifts is always a cause for concern because if you're looking well this is partly skipping forward to the next point but you're looking both at the sheet music and at the conductor at the same time and that's and so like looking away from one of those two things is just always going to be 
kind of uh, a bit a bit tricky. But to segue into that next point, the actual setup of where you should sit and how you should sit, uh, if you're reading, if you're reading the sheet music, you optimally want to set it up so that you have the sheet music that you're looking at and in your peripheral vision, you can see the hands of the conductor. This was a bit of a problem for me because I hadn't set myself up like this for the first time that I did Next to Normal. Uh, I was having... And also within Next to Normal, although there's like lots of pretty easy guitar parts, there are lots of vamps and till cues. Sometimes you have vamp till cue vocal last time and so the conductor will cue the vocalist but that's not the cue for you to come out it's the cue for the vocalist you repeat it one more time and then you come out but also like this is pretty anecdotal to next to normal but we've seen i've seen vocal last times where the vocals only play like it's just a pickup out of the last bar and that's also considered vocal last time. So we're not meant to repeat it again. The cue is for us to come out of it. So that, like, that score, although being relatively easy in terms of content, the vamps and the loops and stuff were kind of a pain in the ass and they caused some problems pretty much for everybody in the band at one point or another. Honk is not so much like that. There are, there are like few vamps and whatever vamps there are there there's no like vocal last time it's it's always very clear as to when we're actually coming out of the vamps uh the problem with honk is just that you this because the scores are written like a pianist it's you know you i've just got my eyes on the score so often that i will realize i'm playing and i haven't even looked at the conductor for like a whole page and i'm like oh shit which is not too bad because lots of the music in this is pretty rhythmic and like you know groovy so, uh so like the tempo is strict but for like rouse and crits and stuff you need to be like pretty much laser focused so that's why i recommend have your uh have the chart in a position where you can easily see the conductor and I believe last podcast I talked about having the air turn pedal, which like you press it and it changes pages on whatever like viewing app you use. If you got like Fourscore uh, or Mobile Sheets Pro, I use both of them depending on if I'm using an Android device or not. But yeah, it works like a charm. It's a lifesaver. Double, double, triple recommend getting some degree of an air turn pro. One exercise that I've been well, an exercise that I've been working on kind of like relatively recently. I was thinking about it just in the last day or two is in piano. There's a very common exercise called anchoring, which is where you will play a note, say I'm going to play middle C with my thumb. And then with my first finger, I'm going to go below middle C. So I'm playing with my right hand and I'm going to go below middle C D hit B and I'm playing all of these with my first finger I'm then going to do with my second finger so your hand is like anchoring in the opposite direction your thumb is being used as an anchor and your hand is turning in the opposite direction I'm using my third 
my fourth finger this time. And now lastly, I'll use my pinky. And you can do that for kind of, uh, you can do that for both hands. And then you can do like, have your first finger down and then anchor with your second finger. I, I think it's mostly common for you to anchor with your thumb. And you can obviously go in the opposite direction. Now I'm using my left hand. And then, uh, oh no, sorry, thumb, then this finger. <laughs> that's a bit of a pain. But yeah, so that's an, that's an exercise called anchoring. And I was thinking about doing that on the guitar because one thing that I find I want to get to with a guitar is I can't quite get the guitar to a point where it sounds full and rich all on its own. Like, but at the same time, I also don't really know how I feel about people like Joe Pass or other solo guitars. Like, they're just, it's not quite the vibe I'm going for. And so I've been, I mean, I, I, I should like sit down and really study some Joe Pass because I don't want it. Well, it's probably not the case that I want the guitar to sound rich and full on its own. I want it to, I want to basically emulate the fact that when you're playing in say a piano trio, you have your left hand to comp and to give you like just some harmony. With the guitar, I always find that, like, when I'm playing with my trio... Give me a sec, I'm just going to grab the guitar. I find that when I'm playing with my trio, there's... Uh, or just any time when I'm the only harmonic instrument, there is always a really noticeable kind of drop in texture or fullness whenever I start to solo. Because it's like, I'll be going... I'll be... I'll be jamming along and I'll have my chords, blah, 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 blah. And then. And I'm worried that like you, there's, there's the kind of inevitable loss of richness when you go from playing those chords to like only playing solos. And so one exercise that I've been doing, and this is, you don't really use this. It's, I don't think I'd really use it because it's, it's quite intense, but you have a finger that's playing a sustained note, say like a guide tone of a chord or like a, a perfect fifth that's functioning as like the major third or the major seven and the major third of an F major. And then you can just solo only using two fingers. And so I'm anchoring, I've got a pretty wide stretch. I've got my first finger playing the first fret of the low E string and my third and fourth finger playing the high E A on the B and, and E string. And you can do that with some other intervals. Like let's say you wanted to move it around. So like I've got a a major six, D and B. And this to my ear is kind of an as if 
G major. So I'll play like a scale, a G major scale. And there are a couple of really like big stretches that you have to make. Like it, it only gets easier as the fretboards go up, you know. But yeah, like it, and that's something that I really like. You can also do certain like exercises and stuff that are really hard, like playing scales in thirds. Like, oh, let me ditch the pick actually. It'll be a lot easier to do this with my fingers, but I mean, playing scales in thirds is not hard at all, but um, playing scales in thirds with only two fingers can be a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. And I've got that high sixth sustained. Oh, this is a big one. Uh, I, I'm trying to be careful with this because I don't want to overextend and do like start to really damage my fingers by getting some, uh, or like, it's not damage your fingers, but like it'll be a, quite a bit of strain by doing some big stretches. What I have found though, which is cool, is you can pretty much just... I don't know exactly. There are some fingerings where you can get you can get one fret above where you're actually where you, because usually like if you have your second finger, say my second finger is on the fifth fret of the G string, my first finger is also on the fifth fret. It's kind of very hard to get your first finger past that fret. Uh, but but it is possible if you have like some sort of if you have a certain optimized fingering there's or, or not even really an optimized fingering but like and if you find exactly where you can go where you can rest your finger you can actually get your first finger to go to a higher fret than where your second finger is and that's really hard there's a really small margin for error but I'm trying to see if I can get it. Like I can do it really easily on something like the high E string and the E and G string where I've got my second finger on A, the fifth fret, and my first finger on six, the C sharp. And that's not the most optimal fingering. You'd usually do first finger A, second finger C sharp, but for playing some of the scales, let's say I've got There's, yeah, this is a, a really tricky one. Um, trying to get. I, yeah, I recommend, well, well, not recommend because, I mean, it's hard for me to recommend things when I'm only just trying them out. It's definitely a really good exercise for uh, like just finger dexterity and stuff. I've got, here's another example. I've got, uh, perfect fourth a questionably tuned perfect fourth yeah a little better I guess but I'm using my second and third finger so I've got my first and fourth finger free my pointer and my index finger pointer and my pinky finger 
And so I'll try and play something like a F, an A Aeolian scale. But there are some challenges like your, uh, your pinky will kind of touch some of the strings. So those are some things that I'm working on. If I change it, I'm still using second and third finger, but I'm going to do a sixth instead. Really tricky, but I think it could, I think there is some like, it could bear some, it could bear some fruits of, of some cool stuff, even if it's just like I've got some soprano points that are being held out and I can solo. Um, let's say. like just having soprano points and it's the kind of reverse of having your bass notes so like um uh a flat e major uh d flat major what am i thinking yeah yeah i kind of like the idea of having soprano points or even just you could have like alto points where uh you you would just choose like a chord tone. Let's say I'm on C minor seven. I could just have B flat ringing out and I'll choose one of my, Oh, well, I was going to say I'll choose one of my less dominant fingers. And then, so I'm using my third finger to hold the A flat, but you will actually change what finger you want, depending on what lines you want to play. Cause if I want to play something up here, So I'm using my first finger, but now I'm going to use, say, my fourth finger. Uh, uh, A flat on my uh, fourth finger still. Um, yeah, E major seven. I'm going to use, say, my third finger for the tenor voice of... Well, I guess it's kind of getting into soprano voice anyway, but um, tenor in relation to the guitar's range. I've got like a D sharp, and then I'll just play. And like, yeah, like some things that you wouldn't optimally do, like. Uh, so I'm using my pinky for some of these notes that, that I would kind of neglect if I had the option. I would default to being like, oh yeah, your pinky's one of your weakest fingers, so use that for your soprano points. But then some notes become relatively harder to play. Like that E, F sharp. So if you do it with your third finger.
I've been finding that like it's instinctively easier to have say your pinky be the one that holds the soprano note because then you've got like if you were to ask if I were to like choose a finger to not be able to play with it would probably be my pinky because everything else is pretty strong but realistically there's like an extra degree of dexterity that you can get when you have the affordability of stretching as far up with your pinky. So, so that's why, yeah, I've been, I've been working on having, well, I've been doing two fingers as the soprano point. Like I showed, I'd have say an interval like this. But in context, I think I would do just kind of one. I would have one soprano point ringing out. Um, and then... Uh, that's a... Tr I might even... Yeah, that's one of... That's easily one of the biggest problems is you're going to start to have your pinky... Um, like touching the strings getting in the way of it uh but if that's like to some degree a helpful um a helpful exercise for you i think if you are a guitarist and similar to me you kind of struggle with the idea of making yourself sound rich and full uh in like a context of a band this might be something that would be fun for you to work on and if you have tried it out and you found any progress please do let me know uh it's getting around that time so i think i'm gonna wrap the podcast up here but i didn't even get a chance to talk about video games but i guess i'll talk about that next time uh, i hope you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to get in the shed keep getting hip and i'll see you next time